Loose Parts is a podcast about a bunch of interesting things, all loosely related to a topic that changes every week. What's up, and welcome to the third episode of Loose Parts. I'm your host, Kat Hale, and today we're going to be talking about Something that was sparked by a recent event in my life, we got a dog! And for those of you who know me, you will know that this is just the greatest thing to ever happen. And for those of you that don't know me, let me inform you, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. After a couple of years of talking about it, my partner and I decided to get a dog. He's amazing, I'm totally obsessed with him, and we named him Larry. Now, thinking about what we were going to name our dog was a process, but ultimately we were inspired by, and this is extremely nerdy, but bear with me, our favorite quiz on ClickHole. So yes, our dog is named after an article on the internet. If you Google ClickHole Garbage Sons, you'll know what I'm talking about. His full name is the dreaded Laramie, but we call him Larry for short. And thinking about what we wanted to name an animal made me start thinking about what we name all of the other stuff around us. The idea that as humans we get to just decide what we call things is pretty fascinating. And so I started thinking about what sorts of things we name, you know, new animals we discover, new places we find, we claim things, we name things. So that's what we're going to get into this episode, is why we name things the names we name them, and what gives us the right to name things, and who gets to name stuff. So yeah, let's do this! Woo! When I say Springfield, what do you think of? If you're a fan of The Simpsons, you probably think of the town where that show takes place, where The Simpsons live, Springfield, no one knows which state really. Uh, Popular knowledge would have you believe that Matt Granig, the show creator, named it Springfield because that's the most common name in the U.S. for a town, and thus it kind of establishes Springfield within the show as a sort of every town USA. There are a lot of Springfields in the U.S., 34 states have at least one Springfield. And I was wondering, why is that so common? And after doing a little digging, I found out that every town named Springfield actually takes its name from the original Springfield, which is in Massachusetts, founded in 1636 by William Pynchon and like six other dudes, but their names didn't make it into the history books, so whatever. He bought the land from Native Americans and named the town after his birthplace in England. So technically, that's not even the original Springfield. The original Springfield is in the UK. But for our purposes, at least, that's the original Springfield in the US. And that Springfield was a really successful town. The place where it was founded happens to be between what later became New York City and Boston, 
making it a really economically advantageous place to found a town. They were right on the Connecticut River. They had a port. They were river transport, eventually grew into a thriving industrial community. And so other cities, as we grew our country, were really inspired by that and wanted to give their town a name that sort of signified success. So they see Springfield, Massachusetts. They're doing pretty okay. All right, we'll have that. We're Springfield too. So Springfield is a pretty common name for towns. There are other names that are even more common for towns in the US. For instance, 46 states have at least one riverside. Illinois and California have the earliest riversides. Both were founded in the 1870s. And let me let you take a guess about why these towns are called riverside. Ding, 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 it's cause they're next to a river. Pretty self-explanatory. There are also 273 fair views in the US, meaning that the town is situated in a place that has a really nice view. Hmm, fair view, there you go. There are 257 midways. Most of those are named because they're halfway between one larger place and another larger place, but a few of them are named because they grew up around carnivals. So, you know, you have your midway down a state fair where all the rides and shows and stuff are. Um, these towns were named because traveling carnivals like to stop there. And so there grew up kind of an entertainment industry in one location. And then a town was founded there and called Midway. But those aren't even the most common town names. If you look at an international level, some of the most common town names aren't English at all. There are 1,716 San Jose's and 1,691 San Antonio's worldwide. Those aren't named after views or geography at all. San Jose is named after St. Joseph, who's the patron saint of workers and also Jesus' dad. Plus, he's the protector of the Catholic Church. Actually, there's an entire branch of theology that's based on St. Joseph, and it's called Josephology. Go figure. San Antonio is named after St. Anthony, who's the patron saint of finding things or of recovering lost people. So pretty good way to name a town. You'll never get lost on your way there. Places are named after people. A lot of things are also named after people, and that's a science that we call eponymy, which is the derivation of a name of a place or thing from that of a person. And an eponym is a person for whom something is named. Um, so something was named after them. If you named a town after me, that would be my eponymous town, and I would be the eponym of Cat City. There you go. There are a lot of famous people that have stuff named after them. Samuel Colt invented a revolver and named it after himself. Uh, there's a bunch of elements that are named after stuff. So there's curium, named for Marie Curie. There's also francium, which is named after France. My hometown, Raleigh, North Carolina, was named after Sir Walter Raleigh, who was a British explorer. We won't go into his history. It's a little checkered. But my favorite eponymous things are actually scientific names for things. There are a lot of newly discovered species that are named after famous people, and some of them are really fantastic. Here are just a few examples. There's an Australian horsefly called the Scaptia Beyoncé. Named after Beyoncé, this horsefly has a giant golden abdomen. 
There's also the Literatia Lopez, which is a mite in Puerto Rico named after J-Lo. There's the Akizoma attenborough which is a dragonfly in Madagascar that was named after David Attenborough, the famous naturalist's 90th birthday. There's also the Luridia annulipes, which is a velvet spider in the Mediterranean named after Lou Reed, who, as we all know, lead singer of the Velvet Underground. So you see how scientists really get to play with the way that they name things. They either name them after themselves, or someone they know, or someone they admire, or in many of these cases, a celebrity, where it's just kind of funny to name something after that. But who gets to decide that these names are okay? Like, if I find a beetle and I want to name it after my best friend, who gets to tell me whether I can do that or not? Scientists use three main ways to name their discoveries. The first is a reference to a location where the thing was found. The second is to honor a person connected with the discovery, and the third is to reference a unique body part or behavior of that organism or place or moss or lichen or coral or whatever it is you found. And the people who get to determine the names for these things are part of a very elite group. It's the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature. It's made up of 27 members from 19 different countries, and most of them are zoological taxonomists, which is an actual occupation. It's people who describe, identify, name, and classify organisms. So they're the ones who decide what a zebra's scientific name should be and where it belongs in our groupings of organisms. And there are a lot of international councils for naming stuff. If you wanted to name a star or a constellation, you'd have to go talk to the International Astronomical Union. Um, they've been around since 1919, and they're in charge of naming celestial objects. So anybody who discovers anything in the sky has to submit a name for their approval. So those star certificates that you get online when you name a star after somebody, unless they're signed by the International Astronomical Union, no dice. And a couple episodes ago, we talked about color. There's also an international council for naming those. The Pantone color of the year is selected each year by a secret meeting of representatives from different nations' color standards groups. And yes, different countries have groups that determine standards of color. So twice a year, there's a secret meeting of people and two days of presentations and discussions where they choose the color of the year for the following year and name it. Some of these names are pretty fun, like Tiger Lily, Honeysuckle, Tangerine Tango, Marsala, and then this past year it was two colors, Serenity, which is this really nice pretty bluish gray tone, and then Rose Quartz, which is a sort of pinky purple. Let's take a break. And for this part, instead of listening to my voice, Let's listen to someone else's voice reading a poem. Her name was Name by Matt Hart. I had a girl, I named her Soap. I had a soap, I named her Cat. One day I played the accordion on paper and it sounded like a birth certificate drifting into the sun. 
a disintegration station in a vast, bewildered wilderness, which sounds like a slide whistle at first, but later like the back porch flytrap I named Jungle. I have never before mentioned these names in the airway, and neither has the girl I named name ever faltered, though the question of remains in the hallway remains. Does one's imagination also disintegrate, or does it flutter forever like a boa constrictor, circling the world, or a warthog? The warthog I named Babe, the boa constrictor I called Pasture. The last time I found myself ensnared in the pastoral, I imagined a rope and escaped by climbing up it. Then I named it Laminate but I called it overwhelming. Me and overwhelming covered in skulls. One superhero to another to another. I boiled a lobster. I named it Travel. I had an agent, and I named her Mob. Then I took out the garbage and went running with my dog, ostensibly to prove my existence, if not also my purchase. I made a purchase, I named it Purpose. There is nothing so bright as a toddler on fire. We don't need no water. I named the water Death Star. That was beautiful. Okay, back to the show. Most of the things we come in contact with every day don't have scientific names necessarily. Because the things that we come in contact with every day are objects, brands, things we interact with. And there's something really interesting about the names of the things we use every day. Many of them are actually trademark names, something that someone gave to them as a brand name that we now use as a generic term. So if you ask someone for a Band-Aid and they hand you, you know, a store brand adhesive bandage, you're still gonna say, oh, thanks for that Band-Aid. But what you're really asking for is a brand name that was coined by the Johnson & Johnson Company. Same with Clorox as a cleaning product, or a dumpster, which was actually a proprietary name by the Dempster Brothers Trash Receptacle Company. They created a trash receptacle and called it a dumpster. Now we just call all trash receptacles dumpsters, but they're not really called that. Dumpster is copyrighted. Frisbees were created by the Whammo Company. Jacuzzis were named by the Jacuzzi Company. Jet skis, believe it or not. Not the name for a vehicle, but an actual brand name for that type of water transport. Coined by the Kawasaki Company. Jumbotrons were licensed by Sony. Kleenex is from Kimberly Clark. Q-tips is owned by Unilever. Rollerblades are owned by Nordica. And Whiteout is a property of the Bic Company. Why do we name things? You could argue that it's a logical reason, you know, for reference and classification. I can't just call your cat, cat, and my cat, cat, and me, cat. Who's, what cat are we talking about? What's going on here? We've got to give them names. So your cat's name is Waffles, and my cat's name is Richard Belzer, and my name is Cat, but I'm the only one that is a person called that. 
There's also emotional or historical reasons for naming stuff, you know, for posterity, naming your son after yourself, for instance, or for affection, like giving someone a nickname. There are also emotional reasons that have nothing to do with how we feel about another feeling being, but rather emotional reasons for naming a product something. So when I tell you that there's a product line containing the names Carolina, Guinevere, Maris, Whitney, Carlisle, Clayton, Drake, and Lloyd, what do you think those are names for? That's right, toilets. Now why would we give toilets people names? I don't know what the people at Toto were thinking, but I'm guessing that it has something to do with the fact that most of those are kind of fancy sounding names and perhaps imbue a sense of trust into this product that you're looking at. But regardless of the reasons we name things the names that we name them, names are just a fun thing to look at. They're what make us unique. They're what make the world around us unique. So think about your own name. Where did it come from? What's the history behind that? And look around you. Think about every object in the room you're sitting in. What's it called? Why is it called that? What's in a name? Thank you so much for listening to Loose Parts. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of names and common names. I am your ever-grateful host, Kat Hale. Loose Parts is recorded and produced in beautiful Chicago, Illinois, where one more dog has recently found a home. It's Larry, and he lives with us. You can listen to Loose Parts at loose.parts. You can also subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. All you have to do is search for Loose Parts. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to leave us a review. Um, It really helps, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. You can also get in touch at loosepartspodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Emily Heron for our wonderful, gorgeous logo, and to Kelly Cohen for reading this episode's poem. Also, special shout-out to Alex Reed for the tip about toilet names. And to you, I say... Have an awesome day.